Hello and welcome to the True To You podcast. Today's episode is a special one. I am going to be joined by Hannah Mitchell. Hannah has a really great career story that is very interesting in how she landed her various roles that she's had. But she's also about to make a huge switch from full-time accountant into an educator for young people. She is going to be helping to facilitate emotional intelligence and leadership programs. And with those skills, help them to be able to take them out into their communities and start to create impact, even as a teenager. When we started working together, Hannah had two very big questions on her mind. And I'm very pleased to say that she was able to solve both of these questions and land herself a huge opportunity, which you're about to hear in more detail in the interview. My favorite part of this episode is listening to Hannah's determination to go out there and gain feedback on her ideas and find out what the needs were of the people that she wanted to serve and also her customers, which the people she wanted to serve, students, her customers, teachers, or perhaps even parents, but people in the education system. This was critical for her to know what the problem is that she was solving and how she could then think creatively about going about it. She also was able to tap into some amazing skills that she had been sitting on for years because they were untapped. They weren't able to be used necessarily in her current work. All this led to a huge opportunity, as I said, and I absolutely love, love, love this story. So I really want you all to hear it and learn from it and perhaps from this, go out and start to make the changes in your career that you so desire. Let's get on with it, shall we? This is the True To You podcast, your very own work bestie. Each week, we come together for honest conversations about reinventing yourself and your career, all while navigating a path towards meaningful work. I'm your host, Ruby Marsh. Let's do this. Hannah, it is such a pleasure to have you today on the True To You podcast. Thank you for joining me on this exquisite Sunday morning. Uh, thank you, Ruby, for inviting me to be on your podcast. It's um, it's a true honor for me. Um, yeah, I'm just so happy to be able to share my story with your listeners. Amazing, amazing, as am I. And hopefully we can get through this without, with some laughs and uh, there might be some tears for you all because Hannah and I have had a few <laughs> moments like that. But uh I'm very excited to be able to share your story because it has been a true pleasure to uh, work with you over the last four to six months. And uh, I think it's a really important story to share as well. So let's kick it off with your backstory because for the people listening, uh, they are really keen to hear how we came together, how we came to be working together, what you used to do, what you're planning to do now, all of the things. So tell us a little bit about your career journey to date, what you studied, uh, where you're from, what you're doing currently and uh, what you're planning to do next. Well, I'm originally from Scotland and um, hopefully your listeners won't need subtitles to understand what I'm saying, but I'll make a special effort to speak properly. <laughs> so I grew up on a farm in a small city village called Ochtertu, which is quite a difficult name to pronounce. Um, it's just north of Edinburgh and its claim to fame is that Sean Connery's grandparents were from there. Um, my family have farmed in that part of Scotland for over 300 years, so it's a very special place. I did all of my schooling in Scotland, but decided to go wild and branch out and go to England for university. 
I chose to study in Newcastle uh, because it was a fairly decent university, but it was also the best place to party in the UK at the time. I feel, I, I've heard that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a pretty legit, legitimate reason, I think. Um, I thought Scottish people were pretty bonkers, but um, Newcastle and the Geordies are definitely next level. Yeah, I remember in winter, uh, the locals would just go out wearing next to nothing, even if it was snowing, all the girls would come out of the nightclub in tiny little dresses. Like, oh my God, this is just that. <laughs> anyway, I uh, just decided to study French and business. I chose French, um, not because I was a real linguist, but I, I had a really cool French exchange friend and was lucky enough to spend a couple of my summer holidays with her in France. And I fell in love with French culture and I thought that French guys were way better looking than <laughs> Scottish guys. So uh, studying French was a bit of a no-brainer. Um, business, on the other hand, wasn't really something I was particularly interested in, but my uncle, who had an amazing job, um, said it would give me a lot of career uh, options. I think I actually wanted to study anthropology, but I was talked out of it by, I think, probably my parents and my school teachers saying, no, that sounds like a Mickey Mouse degree, do something serious like business. So I um, took their advice and off I went and did my uh, French and business degree. I spent three years in the UK and one year at a French business school in the Champagne region. And my exchange year was definitely one of the most memorable years of my life. And we didn't have to attend a lot of lectures and we were given free champagne on a Thursday night, which definitely uh, helped <laughs> with my French skills. I remember though my French was pretty terrible when I first arrived. I asked some of my French friends to correct my mistakes and they said, no, you make so many mistakes that we wouldn't be able to have a conversation if we had to correct you. <laughs> um, so, um, da, da, da. Uh, yeah, we were um, 80 international students from around the globe and being able to meet these people and exchange ideas and learn new things just made me become sort of really open-minded and I think quite sort of adaptable. Um, and I created really long-lasting special friendships with these people and organized our 10-year reunion um, a couple of years ago in Paris, which was amazing. Um, during that exchange year, I decided that I didn't want to be in the UK. I didn't want to do what all my friends were doing, which was to move to London. And um, I thought as, oh, as soon as I graduate, I'm going to um, find a job in Paris. So uh, unfortunately, I had to go back to the UK to, to finish my degree. Um, and during that time, I lived with a couple of French people. And my one of my French flatmates had a... a his brother was visiting me, uh, sorry, visiting him at the time. And I told him that I was really keen to get a job in Paris. And he said, well, I'll help you. Um, when you have a, an interview in France, they'll always ask you the same three questions. <laughs> I can guarantee it. Number one, they'll ask you about your background and what you've studied, etc., And then your strengths and your weaknesses. And that's it. So he wrote me a little script. And I had found a, an internship that I was keen to do um, because one of my friends had worked there uh, in Paris and she said it was a really cool startup. Um, the company, they teach English to French businesses over the phone. So, so I thought, yeah, I'll give it a go. I called up the company and lo and behold, they asked me the same questions. So I just read off my wee script and it worked. I got the job. And I remember telling my mom and dad, oh, I'm gonna move to Paris. I'm so excited about it. And they said, what, you're gonna move to Paris? How are you gonna survive? And I think what was the equivalent of $600 a month? And I said, don't worry, I'll, I'll figure it out. And I was really lucky because I managed to find some uh, find really, really cheap accommodation. Um, it was part, it was in central Paris and it was part of a convent. Um, so run by a couple of nuns. It was like, a, I guess, a halls of residence for people doing internships or students. 
Um, and they weren't your typical nuns. They used to make their own um, cider and sherry and they'd throw the odd parties. So it was just, it was amazing. And I was paying, I think, $50 a month for rent. So I had plenty of money um, to play with. And I, so I started my job um, with the startup. And it was really fun. I was basically um, a customer relations officer and I was trying to show um, French people how to use the company website, how to book lessons, and I had to deal with a lot of irate French customers um, who were annoyed because the phone call hadn't gone well and there was a problem with the phone line, etc. It was, it was quite, um, quite an entertaining job. And when my French got really good. I applied for a job at a Parisian accounting firm where a friend was working. Um, I was hired as a bilingual assistant and then somehow I agreed to let them train me to become an accountant so that I could take on their UK and American client portfolios. I, I was with that firm for four years and I ended up getting job offers from two of the big fours. Um, which I couldn't quite believe because I really never saw myself working for PwC, Deloitte, etc. But I thought, oh, I'll give it a go. Um, and I remember my boss saying, Hannah, you're really not going to enjoy this, but it'll look great on your CV, so give it your best shot. Um, it turns out he was right. I really didn't fit in with the big four culture. Um, the way the senior managers spoke to all the junior staff me members was pretty appalling and people were working around the clock and there was really just no respect for, for anyone's personal life. Um, and I think the icing on the cake was when I asked if I could take a few weeks off to go to a friend's wedding in India. Uh, that friend happened to be working for the same firm in another part of France. And my manager's response was, um, Sorry, but why on earth is she having her wedding in the middle of our financial year end? That's nuts. And I thought, oh my goodness, uh, okay, this isn't going to work. So I handed in my notice there and then <laughs> went off to the wedding in India, had an amazing time, no regrets. Um, and I started looking for another job and I came across a perfume sampling company and they make all the scented perfume stickers that you'll find in magazines for a lot of really cool French perfume brands. And the company owners were based in New York and it seemed like a much more progressive company. And they seemed like very kind people. And it was a bit weird that I found this, you know, approach a bit out of the norm, but it certainly was for Paris. Um, I spent three years with that company and um, I was still their finance manager. I got to go to New York for training and um, yeah, uh, really, um, sorry. Yeah, so I spent three years with that company. I got to go to New York for training and kind of get out of the financial a little bit and do a bit of HR, marketing, worked on their website. And then I got HB and decided to move to, no, I, I got itchy feet. I was, I'd been thinking about Australia for a while, but I couldn't quite pluck up the courage to leave Paris. And um, 10 years is a long time. I had my friends, it was close to Scotland and, a really just a pretty awesome place to live and I think it was when I went home for Christmas and I was chatting to a friend about Australia and I think she quoted Mark Twain and said you know in 20 years from now you'll be more disappointed by the things you do than the you sorry she quoted Mark Twain and said you'll be more disappointed by the things you didn't do than the ones you do um, and I really took that advice on board and decided, yeah, right, I'm going to give Australia a try. What's the worst that can happen? I hate them when I come back. Um, so I decided to take the plunge. I quit my job. I packed up my belongings and I booked a one-way ticket to Melbourne. Uh, unfortunately, two days before I left, the Australian government tightened the laws around immigration and made it really, really difficult for companies to sponsor people. Um, so my chances of finding a job were pretty slim, but I thought, well, the hell, I'll just, you know, I'll, I'll apply for as many things as possible. And if not, I can just travel and then go back to Paris. 
and I was, I think, I'd, yeah, I was really struggling and I was doing quite well in interviews and then the company would say to me, so we'd love to hire you, but we, we just can't sponsor you. It's too difficult. And so I'd pretty much given up and I went to um, Tasmania to visit some family friends and I just climbed one of the evils and we were on our way back and then I got a phone call from this French company in Sydney and they said, well, we've seen your CV on Seek and um, we're looking for a, a bilingual accountant. Um, can you come in for an interview? And I was in Tasmania, oh my goodness, uh, okay then, I'll, I'll be there tomorrow. <laughs> in Sydney and I had two interviews and they were happy to sponsor me and the rest is history I've been in that role for just over two years now and um, yeah it's been <laughs> I just love your cool journey <laughs> <laughs> I think if anybody listening to this listens to just that part of Hannah's story you'll get so much from that uh you really are a woman and i know this is why we why our worlds collided uh at the beginning of the year but you really are a woman that deep down uh takes a risk yes but usually those risks are based on really heart driven uh reasons and i think this was uh, something that when we were working together was about getting in touch with that again, because you can see that every decision that you've made, you have that really strong connection and it's, it's generally worked out for you in some way, <laughs> even if it's for, uh, for most people, it might not seem like perfect ideal situation but you have been able to make it work along the way and I think you're really living proof of that that when you do follow your heart and when you take a chance that that the universe will conspire to to make it happen in some way it just might, might not look at exactly how you thought it would look right <laughs> exactly yeah. yeah so what I wanted to ask you next was a little bit about how we came to meet and we connected for the first time when I did a corporate workshop with your company. And after that, uh, we had a phone call and we had a conversation about where you were at in your career and uh, your life situation and you were at this turning point. So I would love for you in your own words to be able to share with the listeners when we connected and those, those first couple of phone calls, where were you at with your career and how were you feeling about it? So I was pretty stuck in a rut. I was feeling quite downbeat about it all. Um, I had never really wanted to become an accountant. I feel like the career kind of chose me. Um, and so I'd been thinking about doing something else for quite some time. Um, in France, it's really difficult to, to change and do something new. Your CV will only really be considered if your profile matches word for word with the job description. And unemployment is quite high in France and wages are significantly lower, so it makes you a bit um, risk averse. Um, so I think I was kind of caught in that trap of, oh, you know, I can't, I can't afford to, I can't, I need to be able to pay my rent and all the rest of it. Um, but then I reached a point where I was like, no, that is not a good enough reason. Um, I can't just keep doing what I'm doing I need to do something more meaningful whatever it takes uh, if that means moving back to Scotland um, it's that's not a bad thing I have an incredible family and a great network there um, and yeah I need to I need to really make a significant change in my life and um, can't keep going like this and 
um, I just really didn't ever fit into the, the corporate world. I couldn't stand. Um, I think I remember listening to a podcast by the French, about the French um, philosopher Michel Foucault, and it said that life in big corporates weirdly resembles the Panopticon prison. Um, and that's, <laughs> yeah, no, it sounds a bit extreme, but that's really what an office felt like to me, you know, just being constantly under surveillance with your timesheets and your evaluations and wearing the suit and just the way people spoke to each other just all felt very um, forced. Yeah. So I just, yeah, I wanted to do something new. I, I didn't quite know what that was, but I thought I need someone who can kind of guide me and ask me the right questions and kind of show me what's possible. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And uh, even though you didn't know exactly what it was going to look like, you knew you had to make a change. And I think something I got from what you just said as well is that you very quickly got clear on what worst possible scenario was going to look like for you. And when you realized what that was, it wasn't actually that bad. So just for everyone listening, Hannah uh, is in this role here in Australia in Sydney. She uh, is sponsored. So she has that opportunity. Do I stay? Do I go? Do I give that up? Uh, Paris was always in her heart, but she realized that there was some constraints there that that wasn't going to align anymore with really where her direction was going to go, especially if she was going to make a career switch and then going home, what was that going to look like for her? Uh, if she said goodbye to Australia. So you were really in this predicament of, do I go back to the life in Paris that I loved and I have so many friends there and I can pick up life where it left off and, and the culture and I can speak the language and that's all very easy. Do I go somewhere else? Do I go back to Scotland? So you were really in this uh, predicament of, of a lot of options really, weren't you? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there was just too much going on and and it was making me anxious and just really not helping with the decision-making process. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so when we started working together, uh, you told me that, that you'd been thinking about this change for quite a while. How long, how long did it take to muster up the courage and say, I need some support to get clear on what I need to do next? Um, well, I tried um, to see a coach in Paris, but it didn't really work out. Um, he just wasn't really asking the right questions. He was just kind of reading from the questionnaire. Yeah. <laughs> I thought, this, no, this isn't working out. And then um so I mean I left France a couple of years ago so it's been quite some time yeah 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 <laughs> and obviously you took this opportunity in Australia thinking new place uh new experiences you love to travel you're amazing at connecting with people but in knowing that as well that this wasn't going to be the career for you forever I'd love to know what were some of the uh, things that were holding you back. And for some of us, these can be excuses. I don't have enough time or money or experience to do something new. Was there any challenges? Was there any stories you were holding on to perhaps? Uh, I know that, that as you were sharing with us, your backstory, you talked a lot about society's beliefs on what you should do, especially in somewhere like France, where it sounds like they're very um, clear on how you should and shouldn't do things. Mm -hmm. And your parents, you know, naturally you're going to have, um, have them, their influence as well in your decision-making. But I'd, I'd love to know, you know, what was going on for you that kind of had you 
hold off on making this decision to the point where it was almost, I wouldn't say breaking point, but you were like, I have to do something now. It's now or never. Um, so I think it was pretty much um, all of the excuses you've just mentioned and particularly not believing in myself. I find that in France, people are very quick to judge and tell each other off for making mistakes, but they never celebrate each other's achievements. And I didn't really see anything I'd done as a real achievement. So I needed to learn to give myself praise for where it, um, I needed to learn to give myself praise where it was due. Yeah. And I, I also feel like in the UK, you know, we're just a nation of self-deprecating people and being forward just really isn't in our culture. And Australia made me open my eyes to that and made me realize how important it is to just own it. Um, and one of the other challenges was, well, I think what everyone fears is the fear of losing your financial stability and being broke after all those years of having enough money to pay the rent and go traveling. Um, and as you said, a lot of societal pressure and my age, I should have already started a family and bought a house and moved my way up the, the hierarchy. And I think I was surrounded by people who were starting to settle and buy houses and have kids. It made me think, oh my goodness, you know, I, I've left it. It's too late, you know, it's just too late for me. <laughs> and that combined with not knowing um, what direction to go in, I'd had all these preconceived uh, notions of what a career should look like, and that there's, like you said, in France, there's only one route, and I just didn't have the confidence to put myself out there and try new things. and get out of my comfort zone. Yeah. How do you think you, what, what shifted for you in work, either in working together, it might've been one thing that I said in a session that you were like, Oh, I have to take that and run. But what, what do you think flipped those excuses and challenges and everything that you'd been telling yourself up to that date? What do you think changed for you? Uh, you said just own it was probably one thing yeah. in that uh, owning the fact that you have all of these gifts, that you have something to give the world and really getting clear on what that was. In terms of the financial uh, obstacles that you were feeling, that the world's going to end if I lose my job. <laughs> what, what do you think changed for you in that, in that you decided to head back to Scotland without work potentially? Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about what that shift was like. What, um, what do you think mentally you realized that had you be able to, make a decision and then run with it and not look back. I think it was hearing your own story of how you'd managed to completely transform your career and how rewarding that was. And then hearing about your, your clients and their stories and just all the incredible things that people have achieved just because they've had that confidence to try something new and um, yeah, just believe that, that they can really fun and cool and out there as well. I just need to give myself <laughs> the opportunity to do it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a huge one, isn't it? That in that moment that you decided that everything just started to, uh, I would say snowball, like, yeah. speed from there right you said all right this is it this is this is the next uh journey for me and from there you never looked back and mm -hmm. you gave yourself that chance as well you gave yourself that permission slip and I think something that you said just then as well is that you only needed to take that one step. So I just need to take, start taking steps. Uh, although you didn't, didn't say this explicitly, but I think what you were getting at is that 
these people have done all these amazing things, but you realize they probably started somewhere on their journey. Mm -hmm. Uh, You often hear on podcasts uh, this A to B transformation that people have. They go from doing this one thing to B, they're suddenly this uh, big business or big celebrity or they're speaking on TED stages, but it's we're always interested in actually where they started. And when we know that it started with something, we go, okay, (laughs) I know if I just start somewhere, it's, it's going to go somewhere. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that was really important part of our work together is uh, you started taking action from day dot. You were an incredible example of someone who had a full-time job, worked with me intensely, fortnightly sessions, and every time you did the work. So I really want to just give you a little shout out right now in the (laughs) middle of this podcast, Hannah, because I believe that is really the secret to your change. is the fact that you didn't let all of the other conditions in your life stop you as well. Yeah. You were amazing. Every time I gave you some pretty hefty homework (laughs) assignments (laughs) at times and no excuses. You came back, you did them. We talked through them. Okay. What's the next step? What, what do you think you could do next now that you know this information and you continually got out there and said, Hey, I've got this idea. I want to do this. And you got feedback from the market. And sometimes that is the, the hundred percent best place to start for us because our ideas aren't validated yet. The career path hasn't been laid out in front of you step by step. So you need to ask people how they did it. You need to say, hey, how could I get myself into this part of the market because this is where I'm starting and what could it look like? And so that process of constantly engaging with people and asking for feedback and and not, not necessarily turning up having all the answers or having it perfectly laid out. <laughs> I think mm-hmm. you were brilliant at that and that is something for there's so much to be said for that and how much you were able to get clear on in in three months it was unbelievable I was I was <laughs> I'm absolutely blown away and that's why I wanted to speak to you today so everybody now wants to know we know your backstory we know the challenges you are facing we know where your mind was at where your heart was at what your fears were all of those things got you to this point of saying this is my dream and this is what i'm going to go after now this is my my new direction could you share with us what this dream is and for you you mentioned getting really clear on what meaningful work looked like. That was a word that came up quite a bit. I, I really want to do something that creates impact, that has meaning, that obviously you don't want to turn up and be part of a, a machine, <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> so what, yeah, what's the stream? Share with us. We all want to know now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I definitely get my energy from being around other people and making connections and I think my biggest strengths are empathy and curiosity and I wanted to find something that would allow me to really use these strengths Uh, if I'm sitting in front of a computer and looking at spreadsheets pretty soul destroying and I really couldn't see myself in any other sort of corporate role and I wanted to be part of something that would really benefit a community and I was reading one of the books you recommended, um, Seth Godin's book, uh, Lynchpin. And there was a section in the book that was about what we should teach in schools. And it said, you need to teach students two things. Number one, how to lead. And number two, how to solve interesting problems. And that statement really stuck in my mind and made me think, that's what I want to do. And I think I can do it. 
I want to create a program that would help people develop these life skills. And I had a vision of me standing in front of the class at school and oh, I was just absolutely ecstatic. Um, I think I actually I went to bed and then woke up half an hour later and started journaling and just the ideas were just rushing into my mind. It was a wonderful, wonderful feeling. And um, I continued reading the book the next day and another chapter um, just shouted to me, go for it women. <laughs> it said, there's no such thing as a good idea. You've just got to try new things and put something out there, even if it's not perfect. So I decided I'm going to stick with this idea and see what happens. Wow, <laughs> that is amazing. So you, and I love I love as you were explaining that the listeners can't see your body language, but the the moment that Hannah started talking about this thing that that she was so excited by that was obviously in line with how you wanted to help people in the world, your body language changed instantly and you were smiling. And for everyone there, I think, that for everyone, sorry, that's listening, I really hope that you uh, have those visceral experiences when you talk about things that you love and really notice that. Does my body language change when I talk about a certain subject, when I'm really engaged in a conversation? And so our coaching work started to move towards making that uh, the real emphasis. So we started out doing a lot of clearing the mind and, uh, getting clear on where you were starting and what, what beliefs were you going to need to have in order to make this new thing a reality. And I love that, that, that moment that you decided was probably the most powerful moment that you're going to have all year, right? You're going to look back on that moment that you read that paragraph in the book and you said, this is it. And you, and I, I can tell that, that as you were saying that you read that and you didn't look back. And for everyone that's struggling to make decisions, what I would say is, yes, Hannah is, is embarking on something that is in line with so many things in her life and her beliefs and her values. But that aside, it doesn't really matter. It's the fact that you choose something and she's now put her heart and her soul into that. And the fact that she's still working 40 or 50 hours a week in her job at the same time doesn't matter because she's now decided she's got this drive. She knows what her next move is. And it's just a matter of time before it all unfolds in front of her eyes. So I, do you want to make a comment on that? How you've been able to manage a full-time job, a demanding full-time job, something that you don't really love anymore either. Well, you don't love it all anymore. <laughs> How have you been able to find the motivation to continue this work and to keep building momentum and keep going? Um, because it doesn't feel like work at all, actually. It's just like the last three months. Um, it's just been so exciting. And every time I, I read a book that's related to my future program, I just, yeah, it just really feels very natural and um my work has been very generous they've given me a bit of extra time you know long, long longer lunch breaks so i can have been interviewing people from the office to get some um, inspiration for you know ideas on marketing and communication and that sort of thing um so yeah it just it hasn't been a struggle at all and i think I mean, that's the kind of feedback you get from entrepreneurs that, yes, you work the hardest you've ever worked in your life, but it's just such an exciting journey that the extra hours are, it's all worth it. Yeah, that's huge, isn't it? And it's really a sign that it's not to say go out and start working 70 or 80 hours 
that's not what we're telling everyone to do. What we're saying is that actually when the mind shifts and when the mind has a purpose, our energy aligns with that. And we, we find that we actually have energy that we previously didn't think that we had before, right? Mm, yeah. Even you could have continued on and you might've said, ah, oh, and, and not really had a direction. And you probably would have always felt tired or had no time for things and there, you know, all of that. But now it, it's like, it doesn't matter. Even mm. if I am tired, I'll make time. And actually you feel that in your heart, don't you? That, that, uh, the, the mind and the physical body is such a powerful connection. Definitely. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. That once you, once you took charge of the mind, the body responded mm. and gave you that energy. I think that's such a beautiful thing for people to realize that, uh, once you do have something in your life, it doesn't need to be a hundred percent of what you do for your work. Uh, it could be something on the side, but ensuring that, that you create time for that, it will nourish you. You will have the energy for it because that's when you feel alive. And I think there's so much truth in that saying, what makes you come alive? And it's literally because when you're doing those things, you have the energy, you feel good. Mm -hmm. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Okay. So <laughs> a little bit about the steps that you've taken. So we worked together for around about four months. We did a three month mentoring journey together. And then we did a very intense power session to really get clear on uh, some of the things that Hannah is creating. So it was really important that alongside her research, she started to ask herself some really specific questions. Not only am I gathering research, to give everybody a bit of context, we can get very caught up in that research phase because research is fun. It's great to talk to people. It feels easy. But then there'll be a turning point where we have to then create something with that. And it's ensuring that we don't get caught up in that research phase for too long, that we then suddenly don't do anything with it. So I think Hannah's going to share in a few minutes what she is creating as a result. But I would love for you to share a little bit what, about why this research phase is being, has been really important and what some of those questions that we worked on together in terms of... Uh, finding out who it is that you want to help specifically, how you want to help them? Well, in terms of um, steps, I've been speaking to people who've come from a similar um, background, so people just, who left the... I'm just going to interrupt you there and ask you, how many people do you think you've spoken to in the last three, four months? Oh. Uh, goodness knows at least say 30 40 people I so think. more yeah there yeah. you go everyone like <laughs> that yeah that's a lot of work but that's also what it takes as well I really I really want to want to make that clear that um you know sometimes you don't have all the answers and someone's going to give you that tiny bit of wisdom and like when Hannah read those lines in a book and she and she said yep that's it it takes a bit of time and it takes connecting with people and would you say connecting with all of these people as well has given you more clarity and confidence in your next Definitely. Direction. Yeah. Yeah. So I think the first step I took was to, to email all of my um, teaching contacts. So I emailed, I think maybe uh, half a dozen teachers in Scotland, England, Ireland, a friend who is now work teaching in France. And I said, these are my program ideas. And can you just be honest? tell me what you think and tell me what's missing from the, the current curriculum. 
is it something parents would be on board with? And the response I got was overwhelming. Everyone said, this is brilliant. Yes, it's something that we really, really need. And I'll help you where I can. If you have any questions, please let me know. Um, and I spoke to some uh, family friends back at home, one of whom um, has a very important role in education. And again, just let me know who you need to speak to. I can make that happen. And I think it's amazing. Some people are so afraid to ask for help, but I think 99% of the people out there, they want to help and it really, they get a lot of joy from helping others. And that's what I found. Um, same with a couple of friends who left the corporate world to follow their dreams. And I'll talk about a few of them. One of them was in banking in Paris. He hated his job um, ended up learning how to make crepes. And then he moved to the US and now has a food truck business called Holy Crepe. Um, he's a real superhero geek. What? For the Aussies <laughs> and the the super Anglo people out there, how would you how would you say that in Aussie speak? What you just crepe? Oh, sorry, crepe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I just thought for everyone, uh, he didn't learn how to make crap. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, is that what it sounded like? No, holy crepe. Yeah. yeah. Okay, you can continue. Just wanted to clarify that for everyone. <laughs> Um, another friend from Holland who quit her job um, in marketing and has set up her own wine tasting company called Wynecdote. And then another friend I met in France who's actually Australian and she's now living in Paris and running a women's charity that helps victims of domestic violence. So they've all had to go through, you know, the whole... Um, setting up from scratch and they've provided me with some great support and reading lists and, and um yeah I'm really lucky to have those people in my lives because in my life because they've we've had really lengthy conversations and about how their ideas came to fruition and I've asked them about the challenges they face and how to overcome the you know the horrible imposter syndrome um I've also started a public speaking class and public speaking is something I've, I've, I know I've needed to get good at for a long time, but I've just never really quite had the courage to do it. And I've also found um, networking events um, really, really useful. It's a great place to sort of bounce, practice bouncing ideas off people. Yeah. Yeah. And I have to commend you there on a couple of things. Not only did, so actually I'm going to go, go back to the start again. One first step that Hannah made is that she decided what this thing was that she wanted to do next. Uh, working in the education sector, helping helping young people with specific skills, mainly soft skills. She did a couple of things. She wrote a list of who are all of the people that I know already working in education. Can I get an understanding of what the climate's like at back home in Scotland, but also even here in Australia, I've probably got plenty of people here that I know as well. That went, that just spiraled, didn't it? And yeah. all of a sudden, all of these people were coming out of the woodwork and your passion obviously really shone through in that because they were magnetized to that and they said, yeah, we'll help, we'll help. That's awesome. I love that. And I love that you want to contribute that to these children or these teenagers' uh, experience of school. And then secondly, on the business side of it, you reached out to people that you knew had started from scratch what were their learnings? What were their wins? What were, what would have they done differently? How did they get started with 
uh, a passion but little experience in this new industry. A lot of the people you spoke to had done something completely different to what they'd studied. And also what skills perhaps were you able to take from your previous job into what you're doing now? And I think those couple of things combined were able to fill in a lot of gaps for you as well would you say and help keep clarifying what it looks like next because I know when we originally started with this idea it was very easy to to say okay I've got to go and get an education degree and you toyed with that I've got to go and get qualified I've got to go and do all of these things before I can start Mm -hmm. And I challenged you on that and I said, yeah, you might need to go and get the degree, but you're not going to start the degree realistically until end of this year, next year anyway. So what could we do in the short term to Mm -hmm. get the ball rolling and start answering some questions? And I think that's really important for people to understand that sometimes you don't need to go out and and get the education straight away that there are ways of getting clear on how you could contribute to this problem or provide a solution that doesn't necessarily take you another four years to get to that point where you can actually do it and that's what you began to realize from the conversations that you were having And then the third thing that you did, which is so important, is pretty aligned with the process you were taking anyway, but you also went out and said, what new people can I meet? So I've exhausted everyone in my own network. How can I contribute? Uh, Sorry, how can I connect with new people that might be able to put me in touch with other people? And I think that was... Uh, really key because then that actually led you to some really cool discoveries and meeting (laughs) people that are potentially going to offer you uh, or open up doors to starting this work very, very soon and much sooner than you thought you you ever could. So I just want to make that clear for people. And and the other thing, sorry, I've got four things on this. This is, this is a, huge, um, a huge thing for people to get. You had some fears around public speaking, didn't you? They actually yeah. go back to your teenage years. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, yeah. <laughs> so uh, I, re- I recall one of our coaching sessions it was fairly emotional and I don't, we don't need to go into it. We don't need to relive it. But would you say that by going out and taking the speaking training, getting those lessons that you're actually starting to reverse that story or um, make good on something that felt so uncomfortable for so long and say, actually, I, I can do this. Yeah, yeah, it's very empowering actually. Um, so I'm doing it with uh, Toastmasters, and it's just nice to see that we're all in the same boat. And um, it, I just, I um, sorry, oh, I had to get this one out. <laughs> I just, I really surprised myself. I went along to the first session and it's, it's a lot of fun. Everyone's struggling, uh, some more than others. There are a few people who do have a lot of experience in public speaking, but you've just got to get up there. And if you humiliate yourself a little bit, then so what, you know, it's all part of the journey. And um, no, I'm actually really enjoying it. The thing is it's in front of a small group and I'm going to have to, <laughs> learn how to speak in front of a significantly large number of people so I've just realized how much um learning I've got to do and to get myself you know to that next level yeah that's so important isn't it that you also got clear on 
for you what mastery of that skill was going to look like and didn't necessarily say to yourself, well, I'm not going to be able to walk on a TED stage in a month's time. So I may as well (laughs) just not even do this. You actually got in and you started doing the speaker training and you realized, okay, I know where I need to get to. And this is what I need to do as a minimum to uh, be able to speak in front of potential uh, groups of children or teenagers, but then also be able to articulate my program clearly to people that might be buying it, which would be schools and teachers or even parents, for example. Mm -hmm. So all of this is going to help you share your message, whether it be with the actual customers or with the groups of uh, teenagers that you're going to be workshopping with. So I think Mm -hmm. that's, that's so cool. Okay. So now that you've done this research process and this is, this is going to be ongoing for you, but you've, reach some really amazing milestones as well. So I would love for you to share with us, Hannah, what the next six to 12 months are looking like for you, where this is going. I know that there's a couple of things that we've been working on as well in terms of mediums for you to be able to share all of this research, connect with more inspiring people and really develop your own profile as someone that is not necessarily yet a thought leader, but is contributing something to the space of emotional intelligence uh, and leadership for the youth. So tell us all about the next six to 12 months. What's happening for you? What has all of this unfolded as? Well, I'll start with the wee story. Um, I had a stroke of luck uh, just last week. I went to a French networking event. I wasn't actually going to go because it's a bit dry and very corporate. We all have to wear a little badge and it's always like, hello, what company do you work for? And why is your French so good? But you have a British accent, always the same kind of questions. But but anyway, I'll I'll go along. And I ended up meeting a really lovely Brazilian lady who is the ambassador for One Young World. And I told her about my business idea. And she said she knew of someone doing something very similar in Sydney. And did she want me to, did she want me to reach out to him? I said, oh yes, absolutely. Um, I'd love to meet that person. And the next day she sent him an email and I wrote back saying, like, this is my idea. I'd love to meet with you. Um, He didn't respond, so I was a little bit offended. But I thought, right, no, I really need to speak to this person. And as I left his phone number in the email and I called him and just kind of blurted out my idea. I thought, oh my goodness. how's this going to go down and and he said yeah absolutely I'd love to meet you and um, let's meet next week and we um uh let's meet uh yeah he'd been away at a conference and that's why he didn't respond to my email and so he said let's let's meet so we did and we chatted for hours and at the end of our conversation I said how would you feel about me um, taking your program to the UK and he said yes so we're still in the kind of discussion phase but fingers crossed I really hope it's going to happen because our I think we have we share the same vision and I like to all of this course content and I think there's a lot that I can use in Scotland I'll obviously have to adapt it according to what's taught what's already being taught in schools so that's a huge, <laughs> a huge step. Um, so the plan is now to, um, I'm going to leave Sydney in October and I'll be going to visit my uh, cousins out in Double <laughs> in rural Australia and speak to some of the, my cousin is a uh, head of English in a school. So I'm going to speak to some of 
um, her colleagues and learn about the programs that her school offers. And then I will go to Nepal and travel for a little bit. I'm going to do a meditation course and then I'll be back in Scotland for Christmas. And I've also started podcasting, so I'm hoping to interview teachers, mentors and people working in education in Australia and Europe and possibly the US. It's going to be called Message to My Younger Self and I'm going to use it to generate ideas for my program but I would also love for it to be a platform for sharing ideas on teaching methods and material so yeah that's where I'm at I've got two months left in Australia and then back to Scotland and to start my project sky's the limit (laughs) amazing and for everyone listening I I hope that you got a lot out of Hannah's story because uh, not only is her backstory really interesting and some of the chances that she has taken over the years, but now how she's moved in this new direction and everything that she's done to make that a reality and continue to put her self in front of people and have this mindset of possibility is huge Hannah and I really think you're amazing and and a wonderful uh, friend now I can't wait to see how this (laughs) unfolds for you over the coming months and years and where you take this because Hannah really has a heart of gold and I know that you'll put everything into this next uh, next career. Thank you so much, Ruby. It's been an absolute pleasure. And yeah, I look forward to hearing about your story too. And thank you. <laughs> hey there, girlfriend. Podcasts are incredible, aren't they? But of course, as you probably know, the real magic happens when you take those concepts you've learned and apply them directly to your life through daily action. If you're yearning to find more meaning in your work, then I want to invite you to take that daily action by joining me in my one-on-one mentoring program, The Unstoppable Woman. To find out more, head to rubymarsh.com slash private mentoring. I cannot wait to take the journey with you.